We enter a new year, a new day has dawned brightly, one filled with the promise of your presence with us, O God. Darkness cannot overcome the light that you have brought into the world. And so, loving creator, even though the future is uncertain, we trust in your abundant grace and goodness. For when we have stumbled, you have provided a pathway. When we have wept, you have brought consolation. When we have lost our way, you have led us back. When we have been scattered in our daily living, you have gathered us back together again. When we have mourned, you have brought us joy. When we have sorrowed, you have brought us gladness. When we have thirsted for you, you have filled our empty souls with refreshment and nourishment. When we have been in darkness, your light has shined in our darkness and we were not overcome. When we were living in despair and doubt, your word became flesh and lived among us. For all these blessings of the incarnation, God with us, we praise and give glory to you as the grateful recipients of your grace and truth. You have not withheld your love from us, but have sent forth a light to shine in our darkness. For this we give thanks and praise in the name of the child born in a stable in Bethlehem as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
the witness of scripture this morning, John chapter one, verses one through 18, the gospel according to John. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light that true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known.
Let us pray. Eternal God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And now, open our hearts to your word and open your word to our hearts. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. The manager of a large office noticed a new employee and he asked the new employee to come into his office. And he asked, what is your name? And that was the first thing that the manager asked the new employee and John, the new employee responded. The manager scowled. Look, I don't know what kind of place you worked at before, but I don't call anyone by his or her first name. It breeds familiarity, and that leads to a breakdown in authority. I refer to all employees by their last name only, Smith, Jones, Baker, that's all. I am to be referred to only as Mr. Robertson. Now that we got that straight, what is your last name? The new employee sighed and said, Darling, my name is John Darling. And the manager replied, Okay, John, the next thing I want to tell you is, well, names. If you think about it, name. What, what's in a name? Uh, you know, that's from the Shakespearean uh, Romeo and Juliet, what's in a name that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Names have a way of determining outcomes. They're deterministic. Uh, we tend to go to certain conclusions. New research suggests that people are influenced by their names, that they will subconsciously gravitate toward objects and actions that begin with their initials, for, for example. Kathy might prefer Coke, while Peter would prefer Pepsi. Tim would favor Toyotas, or Bradley might prefer Beethoven. Sarah might become a soccer player, scoring as a striker, uh, or piling up saves as a goalie. And perhaps we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus Christ, J.C., was a Jewish carpenter. Life follows initials. What we are named, what we are called, leads to certain conclusions, directions in life. In the scriptures, name meanings carry significant weight. Abraham means father of many. And Daniel means God is my judge. Elijah means my God is Yahweh. Gomer means complete. The list goes on and on. And this week's lectionary text is rich in name meaning. Often John 1 is a classic passage used to explain our theology, what we believe and what we don't believe. And despite Greek arguments, linguistic arguments between New Testament scholars concerning John 1, almost every conversation about this text resol resolves around and focuses on the deity of Christ and centers on the name of Jesus. What's in a name? The name Jesus comes from a Greek translation of the Aramaic Yeshua, a shortened form of the Hebrew term meaning Yahweh is salvation. Matthew 1, 
21 through 23, not only tells us the meaning of Jesus' name, Matthew also reminds us that it is God, through an angel, that God named the Messiah Jesus. Our Trinitarian theology, God, Son, Spirit, and disciples are all over the map when it comes to Trinitarian theology. It's not really our thing, but it's, this is a bit mind-bending. God in one, three in one. Jesus technically named himself after himself, meaning Jesus literally has the name of God in his own name. And that name is the incarnational ministry, word made flesh, that Jesus came to fulfill himself first and then through you and me. The word made flesh, incarnational ministry of John 1, it unfolds conveniently It's a preacher's wonderland. It unfolds in three movements, the message itself, the incarnational event, and the missional mandate, all unlocking the door to an incarnational life, incarnational living, and incarnational ministry. It's really very exciting. So first of all, the message itself. When Jesus entered the world, he came to bring true life, Jesus was God's means of demonstrating God's heart for humanity, totally representing the fullness of grace and truth. Not just some grace, not just some truth, the fullness of grace and truth, both the fullness. Now, as a follower of Jesus, I don't know about you, but many times I am full, full of a lot of things other than grace and truth. If you think about it, all truth Christianity, all of grace Christianity, are not really all that helpful in any situation. Although think about grace and truth in terms of balance and finding a better balance of grace and truth in your own life. Jesus put it this way. For example, Jesus called out the religious leaders of his day who seemed to love law over people. Jesus questioned the leaders who put the truth of the law above the spirit of the law. As humans, we tend to limit love when we define who can can and cannot be included in the circle of God's love. As a single mother and a recovering alcoholic, author Annie Lamont felt the judgmental sting that accompanied the ungracious standards of the Christianity that she was presented with. In her book, Grace Eventually, I just love that title, she writes this, you can tell you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. You see, truth without grace tends to feel hateful and not loving, and we all, have seen so-called truth become a weapon where megaphones, signs, and arguments replace love, replace respect, and healing words. As Philip Yancey states, no one ever converted to Christianity because they lost the argument. You see, when Jesus entered the world, he came to bring true life. And Jesus, 
was God's means of demonstrating God's heart for humanity, totally representing the fullness of grace and truth. So the message of John 1 centers on the incarnational event, word made flesh. The incarnational event, the law was given through Moses in verses 16 and 17 of our text. Verse 16, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And verse 17, the law indeed was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the law was given through Moses. The law was a communication of how people were designed to live in relationship to a holy God. Jesus embodied in the word made flesh God's boundless, inexhaustible, and relentless love for all humankind. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you have heard it said long ago, but I say to you, you see, love trumps the law. That is the message of the word made flesh, Jesus. Real people come before archaic rules. Love trumps the law. The incarnational event, word made flesh, was to fully and completely make God's heart known. God chose to take on human flesh. That's verse 18 of our text. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. To model the life of light, that's incarnation. To tabernacle among us, that's incarnation. To dwell among us, that's incarnation. I invite you to embrace incarnation this way. If a parent wants to teach uh, his daughter how to do a somersault, think about this. A parent doesn't just sit on the back porch and bark orders uh, to give step-by-step -step instructions on how to crouch, lean, and roll. A parent that is able to, of course, gets out on the grass and shows her how to crouch, lean, and roll and do a somersault. That's a big piece of the incarnational event. Incarnation means modeling grace and truth. That's incarnation in its fullest form. Word made flesh. God came into the world, came to us in the flesh, and by the name of Jesus. So what's in a name? The name Jesus does not mean God teaches salvation or God offers salvation. God shows us. God has made him Jesus, God's self known in the flesh. Yeshua means God is salvation. God became it. Incarnation means God overcame it. God is it. That's what incarnation means. God overcame the God is elsewhere idea. Through the incarnation, God in Jesus became flesh. God is not elsewhere. God is hereness, God is withness, God is nowness, God became one of us. God is thisness, God with us, Emmanuel, word made flesh. So what do we do with the message of the incarnation, God becoming one of us? What do we do with it? Well, there is a missional mandate. Jesus has God in his name, and that means something. It must mean something. After all, what's in a name? Well, I have three sons. 
three beautiful sons. But before I get to my sons, there's something that you need to know about my preaching. In each sermon, usually there's this moment of self-disclosure. There's this moment of vulnerability. Uh, There's some form of that in order for you to get to know me. And this is my debut sermon, my first sermon. This is my in the beginning sermon, so to speak. And I believe an effective sermon is one that has transformed me as well. And the preacher must be good news in order to preach good news. And the biggest reason that I am here at First Christian Church in Norman, Oklahoma, the main reason I accepted the call to serve at First Christian Church is to serve with David Spain and Shannon Cook because they embody the good news. They are good news, grace and truth, fully alive in the flesh. Incarnational ministry means a connection, a deep connection to the word made flesh. So consider the phrase, in the beginning was the word found in the prologues of Genesis and John. Consider the reliability, consider the consistency, consider the continuity in the word's origin. The, in the beginning was the word. In both places, Genesis and John, Old Testament, New Testament, consider the continuity, the consistency, the reliability of the word, the incarnational presence of God. Incarnation literally means face-to-face relationship with God. Incarnational ministry is here at First Christian Church, in clergy, in staff, in the laity community. David is good news when he preaches. Shannon is good news when she does ministry. All staff, the musicians, represent efficiency. They're talented. They offer their gifts, hospitality, and self-control. Gifts of the Spirit, for sure. The laity, the community of believers living the good news in the church and outside the church, living good news, breathing good news, word made flesh, incarnational ministry. I don't know of any other way to do ministry. We all have received grace upon grace, and we in turn share with others grace upon grace. And I am grateful to be on a team like that, the grace upon grace team, incarnational ministry. Well, back to the self-disclosure in the sermon. Lisa and I have three sons. And the naming process can be a challenge when you have children. It's always a challenge when parents consider having kids. Uh, Being a parent is a challenge, but it's also very rewarding if we only knew then what we know now, right? When we became pregnant with our first son, uh, the first time, and we made the decision not to know the gender with our first two, we wanted to be surprised. So we picked names for a girl, names for a boy, and we ended up with two boys, our first two children. And uh, we picked names, of course, for both genders, but we decided on Henry would be the middle name, that's after Lisa's dad. And with our second child, who's a boy, we ended up uh, with Thomas, who that's my first name and my dad's name. So we ended up with 
Carson Henry Lida and Grant Thomas Lida. So what's in the name? Well, we wanted our two firstborn sons to have always with them the two most important men in our lives to be with them in their lives, men of character, truth, and grace. That's incarnational, isn't it? And now for Bennett Scott Lida, our third son. We tried for a girl, and you know the rest of the story, or do you? We had a great pregnancy. We wanted to know the, we wanted to know the gender of our third, another boy. Now, back in 2006, the Disciples of Christ as a denomination, we still had a denominational magazine called The Disciple. And inside the back cover was an article and a poem about a family that had a son named Beckett. And Beckett, unfortunately, was born with a multitude of problems, and he only lived for eight days. Beckett's church family, First Christian Church, rallied around them, and the dad had written an article and a poem about their experience. It was beautiful. And I came home with that article and the poem, and I shared it with Lisa and our two older sons, and we talked about it. And I wondered what we would do if presented with a similar situation. And I asked Lisa and our two sons, we started talking about names, and I asked them, how about Beckett Scott Lida? Because my middle name is Scott, and Preston Scott Lida is in our family tree. How about Beckett Scott Lida as a name, with the middle name Scott? Beckett Scott Lida, what do you think? Well, there was complete silence. I'm not, I wasn't even sure if they had heard me. And um, my middle son, Grant, responded. He blurted out, no, Dad, the kids at school will call him Bucket, not Beckett. Then I got to thinking about, okay, let's, let's skip Beckett. How about Bennett? Bennett's pretty strong. It goes with Scott. It's got two T's on the end. Uh, Benedictus, benediction, blessing, amen, let it be so. So it was settled. Bennett Scott Lida. That's how we ended up with that. And Bennett Scott Lida was born on a Wednesday, July 5th, 2006. Bennett did so well the first hour. And then when I was filming his first bath, he turned blue and he coated out. He stopped breathing. Bennett was born with eight congenital heart defects. We didn't know it at the time until he coated out. Bennett survived heart surgery, and we spent 40 days at Cook Children's Hospital in Fort Worth, Texas. And Bennett survived heart surgery. He's doing great today. Later, after we made it home with Bennett, I contacted the DOC family, the First Christian Church family that had had Beckett. Remember the DOC family, the article and the poem in the Disciples magazine? And I shared with them how their son Beckett had led us to naming our son Bennett. And they were speechless. They were thankful and overjoyed. They were overjoyed to hear our story. You see, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Darkness names life not as God intends it. But God's presence enters our darkness 
illumines it and resists its power to extinguish God's presence. Word made flesh. We are forever connected to Beckett's family, forever connected by our children, Beckett and Bennett, and by Christ, the incarnation of the Word, Word made flesh, and dwelling among us. Frederick Buechner describes incarnation this way. The Word became flesh, incarnation. Agonized labor led to it, vast upheavals of intergalactic space. Time split apart, a wrenching and tearing of the very sinews of reality itself. You can only cover your eyes and shudder before it. Before this, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, who for us and for our salvation, as the Nicene Creed puts it, came down from heaven, came down. Only then do we dare uncover our eyes and see what we can see. It is the resurrection and the life she, Mary, holds in her arms. When I saw Bennett for the first time after 40 days of not being able to hold him in his mother's arms, it was truly resurrection and life. It was incarnational for me. It was a moment of grace and truth, word made flesh. My vision, my life changed, and from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Well, it's appropriate then that as Christians, we have Christ in our name, because there is a lot for us to do together. It's implicit in this text in John 1, incarnational life, living, and ministry. God took on flesh as Jesus bringing the fullness of grace and truth, word made flesh, then to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. So here's the question. If God's son was the means of making the heart of God known to the world, wouldn't God also call us to make known the heart of God? Incarnation is not just the theology of this John 1 passage, it is the missiology as well. As Christians, we bear Christ in our name. It is who we are. And that's why we want to be the very incarnation of grace and truth as Jesus was in the world, making the circle of grace upon grace wider, bigger, and fuller. What's in the name? We are Jesus' people, connected in every way, forever Christians, with the incarnational name of Christ in us. Christians, the name suits us, and no one has ever seen God, but they have seen us.